Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Rock Out Led, our journey through the works of the greatest band ever, regardless of what, um, well, the co-host of Rock Out Loud says. This is Rock Out Led, and the co-host, of, uh, co-host, of, the co-host, the co-host of Rock Out co-host. Loud is not here, but I'll tell you who is here. This is the man who um, who puts the rock in rock and roll, and who puts the rolls in the oven to eat later, very warm. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend and yours from Chicago, I stole that line, Jimmy Mack. <laughs> I don't know who you stole it from, but I like it. That's right. Some I, I like don't know. It. I just feel like maybe it's an alternate universe kind of thing. So. Uh, Kristen is the co-host. She's the co-host. <laughs> okay. I'll be the cojones. <laughs> All right. So let's do Love that. it. Um, Love it. And uh, and yeah, take me out of the oven because I'm pretty toasted right now. So right. let's talk about Zeppelin. Let's get into some Zeppelin. Well, last time yes. we, we did side A of Led Zeppelin 2. And um, I, Jim, I love the fact that these first few albums are just Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin 2, Led Zeppelin 3. I feel like they should have continued that trend throughout the rest of their discography. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, when they released uh, what we call Led Zeppelin IV, mm-hmm. or the Four Symbols, or the Runes, or whatever, Zoso, mm-hmm. whatever people call it. I've always called it Zep Four. Mm-hmm. But uh, by that point, they didn't even want to name their albums anymore. So it's, it's where, you know, they just continued down that path. Now, of course, Chicago did that pretty much throughout their entire recording career. Hmm. You know, I think, what, what was the highest uh, number Chicago got to? It has to be in the uh, probably close to thirty. Oh, know, really? They just kept yeah, and they they did so with Roman numerals, which. Uh, so you, you which there's, so there's everyone. a so there's a Chicago triple X out there. Because that'd be <laughs> Chicago there? thirty and <laughs> numerals. Is there? Is there, oh wait, I should have put in Chicago band. I just punched <clears throat> up the city of Chicago. Yeah, okay, there's Chicago a Chicago band. Chicago and, triple uh, X. Yeah, it's funny, even when you punch up the uh, Chicago website, um, bullets start flying out of your... Uh, what? <laughs> no, I can't. I, I live here, so I can say right, those sort of right. things. Well, people Chi- like, uh, you know, there are people who go around saying that kind of stuff. Sure. Be saying well, Chicago is the murder band of the, you know, the, the highest rated murder band of all time. Okay, so I'm on their official website now, the Chicago website. Oh, yeah? I, I bet you didn't think the Zep show would go into this direction so fast. Yeah, the, I'm really, yeah, this is kind of freaking me out, man. ChicagoTheBand.com, is that where you're at? Chicago View Albums. So what's this one? Chicago. <laughs> yes, there is a Chicago Triple X. Um, I'm up to uh, 30, 34 here. 36, I'm sorry, 36. Wow. Chicago 36 was released July 4th, 2014. So Chicago, thirty six, and it's XXXVI. Hmm. So, so you the, know Zeppelin, they didn't really want to go down that path. Sure, you know? everyone would be like, "Yeah, Chicago does that." So um, they just said, "Well, you know what? We're not doing that. We're just not going to name the album at all." Well, that leads me to my next question: Did Chicago predate Zeppelin? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Well, <clears throat> fair enough. Chicago the band. Uh, Came together in, uh, I believe, I want to say 1967. There's a great documentary 
on the band. Oh, 1969, they released their first album when they were known as Chicago Transit Authority, CTA. And um, they released their first album April 28th, 1969. So actually, Led Zeppelin predates them with uh, with uh, Zepp, uh, Zepp One, mm-hmm. which was released, uh, refresh my memory, I think in November 68. Well, that sounds right, <clears throat> as I recall. Yeah. If you'll give me just a moment, I can tell you exactly. Yeah. Because I'm not afraid of Googling on this show, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we both are. I'm, a, I'm on the ChicagoTheBand.com website on the Led Zeppelin show. Now, actually, what I'm seeing here from Led Zeppelin, the first album, uh, was released on 12 January 1969. Oh, so it was recorded in 68. Yes. And, well, they still then predate Chicago <clears throat> by four months as far as vinyl releases Mm -hmm. okay well there you go so zeppelin once again greatest band of all time they were they were through the door before chicago zeppelin (laughs) better than chicago there is a great documentary about the band chicago that cnn produced Mm -hmm. and it came out earlier or i'm sorry late last year and i I do recommend watching that because it's a, a really cool story about a really cool band yeah but we're here to talk about the greatest band of all time the hammer of the gods mm. led zeppelin man. now hey jim you know uh, th- this is kind of a sidebar of zeppelin the thor ragnarok trailer i know you've seen it i did with the effective use of the immigrant song so effective I'm, and I love at the very beginning of the trailer where you just hear the song slowly fading in. Mm-hmm. And it you recognize it as the immigrant song by the rhythm. But the way they mixed it down, they added some delay to it. And it's really low in the mix. And it's almost a percussive sort of sound you hear at first. Yeah. great song oh it's one of my favorites it's almost as if you picture the character in the song you know the guy who's uh who's leading the charge you always you know imagine the viking or something like that but you almost picture thor leading the charge yeah you know and when you talk about again the hammer of the gods Mm -hmm. just like you said thor has the hammer zeppelin has the hammer that's right and so it's just a natural mix i'm glad that Jimmy Page and Robert Plant and John Paul Jones, they allowed the song to be used because they're very tight about that stuff. Sure. It just seems like a match made in heaven, though. I find it unlikely we're going to hear the song in the film itself. As do I. But as far as the trailer goes, it's it's epic. And you were so excited to text me and say, it dropped, it dropped, Zeppelin! <laughs> <laughs> well, I was torn because, you know, they. it's like you should have done this from the first... With the first Thor movie, yes, like this should have been the through line as far as trailers go. But, but also I was like, uh, uh, there seems to be, uh, and again we're going down a real rabbit hole that we don't need to go down. But there seems to be a a movement now in some of these superhero trailers to try to Guardians the Galaxy up things, uh-huh. where they're using the the classic hits and that sort of stuff the way that Guardians did so effectively. We saw it with Suicide Squad. Uh, we saw it with the Justice League trailer bringing in Come Together. Now we see it with Thor with the uh, with the immigrant song, and um, 
you know, it's it's a it's a new trend amongst superhero movies. I'm afraid, with well, their trailers right. at least. I think you're right. Well, at least Guardians incorporates it into the actual. Exactly. I mean, they actually make it part of the story. Right. Right. The uh, the soundtrack and the Walkman and everything and uh, the mixtapes. I did see Guardians over the weekend too, and I thought it was pretty darn good. I really enjoyed it myself. So, so. I, yeah, love the music and everything. But nose nose up. No. The only there are very few movies. Do I recall using Zeppelin? I mean, most famously, I think in School of Rock, right. Jack Black wanted a immigrant song in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was able to get that when he was driving the kids to a gig. Yes. They were playing it in the, the van or whatever. I loved it. But, um, and of, oh, another great usage of Zeppelin in films is in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, when Spicoli and uh, Jefferson's brother, are driving around in Jefferson's car and they're cranking cashmere. I think. Wait, no, it's they're not. They're not the ones driving. I forget who's driving. It's been a long time since I've seen Fast Times. Uh, is that Fast Times or Days and Confused? Fast Times. Okay. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. The original Days and Confused. There you go. And I must have seen that movie a thousand times when I was a kid. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember who's driving that car, but I, I'm pretty sure it was Spicoli. And, in Jefferson's car. I don't remember. But they were they were jamming cashmere. So when I finally got my driver's license, that was a goal of mine. <laughs> to jam to cashmere? Get in my dad's Monte Carlo, pop in the eight track, and jam out the cashmere as I cruise down the highway. And uh, at nighttime too. At nighttime. What a great driving oh, song. Yes. Uh, so um okay, and you know what? As long as we're talking about kind of, you know, Zeppelin in the news lately. Yes, sure. There is there is this wild rumor going on about uh, again. I mean, this happens all the time about Zeppelin reforming. Have you heard about this? No, no. Oh, you haven't? No. Okay. Um, I'm going to get my facts together here uh, because there have been uh, these rumors that Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, John Paul Jones, and I'm assuming Jason Bonham will get together as Led Zeppelin and play this big concert this summer called Desert Trip 2017. Okay. Wow. The thing that his, I mean, there's been rumors that they were offered a lot of money to play last year's Mm -hmm. desert trip and they turned it down. But from what I've heard, they have millions of reasons this year to consider. Well, now, what is desert trip? Where does this take place? Um, Desert trip is a, uh, I I, I believe it happens in California. And, um, Nobody has been announced like who the headliners are, but last year it was that big. They called it Old Shella last year when they had the Stones, Paul McCartney, Neil Young, Roger Waters, and the Who. They all played this one weekend festival out in the desert. Love it. So now the the rumor also, obviously, with Led Zeppelin celebrating their 50th anniversary in 2018 – that's, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people are speculating. They got together for their 40th anniversary in 2007 when they played at the O2 Arena in that big mm-hmm. reunion show. So that's the big rumor. Hmm. And now Billboard is saying, sources say, no deal is in place for Led Zeppelin to perform. And uh, But but again, they haven't announced who the headliners are for this uh, show. Um, in cryptic Zeppelin fashion... Robert Plant's website went completely black, robertplant.com. And uh, if you punch it up right now, you're going to see a black screen with only three letters typed there. It says, anytime now, dot, dot, dot. Wow. Anytime now. Well, it could mean Robert's about like, ready. 
to retire? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime now. Um, no, you know, I think that Robert could be uh, on the verge of releasing a new album. Mm. I think he's been working on a new album, from what I understand, with his uh, band, the uh, Space Shifters, or whatever they're called. I saw them on, I was flipping channels the other night, and I saw them on Austin City Lights. And uh, I stopped and, and watched some live Robert for a little while. And he sounded great. He sounded really good. And uh, he still looks good. And the whole band looks good, you know. It's that deal with the devil they made, I think. It might be. And, <laughs> and uh, they look like they're ready to rock. Jimmy Page, of course, has been really quiet since he toured with uh, the Black Crows way back, <clears throat> in, gosh, 15 years ago. We haven't seen or heard much from Jimmy Page outside of the Zeppelin reunion. And... Uh, for the most part, he just kind of chills out in his castle and, you know, probably uh, performing virgin sacrifices. I was going to say, probably, doing, to probably doing the black magics and everything. Yeah, the black magics, you know. <laughs> the black know. magics there. And, you know, everyone says this about Paige, but in reality, it's probably just him and his slippers with a Ouija board and a <laughs> cup of tea. So it's it's not that exotic, you know. Just just communing with the spirits. Yeah. Oh, and of course a Robert Plant voodoo doll at his side at all times. <clears throat> oh man. Maybe oh. if I if I just stick the pen right here, he'll get the band back together. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, um, but you know you have to appreciate their um, their attention to authenticity and integrity in the history of the band. Um, I know that Paige and Jones would have been touring as Led Zeppelin for years now, Mm. decades even, you know, and it's just Robert's been the whole now. Yeah. And I hate that because, you know, I mean, obviously Robert wants to evolve. He doesn't want to live in the past. He wants to keep creating new stuff. But when he goes out and tours, he's not shy about playing Led Zeppelin music. Well, no. And sets. I, I had someone that I worked with. Oh, man, it's been a year ago or so. Uh, Plant was down in Florida somewhere, and she went and saw him and came back, and she's like, he did this song, and he did this song, and they did this song, and it was just like, did he do any of his own stuff, you know, or was it all Zeppelin stuff? And it was and it was at least half the show was Zeppelin music. Yeah. When I was watching that uh, him on TV the other night, I, I out of the three songs I saw, two were Zepp numbers. Mm-hmm. They were covers. I can't even, you know, spell <clears throat> Zepp because he does such different arrangements right. to them. And that whole world music fusion, it's yeah. just, to me, that's gotten a little old. I like the authentic Led Zeppelin sound with the Jimmy Page riffs and the hard-hitting rhythm section. And I always wondered why Robert just got stuck in this world music fusion genre thing that he's been doing. I mean, he does a little rockability. Sometimes he does a little country. But he keeps coming back to that world music fusion thing. And I just would wish he'd go into the studio like the Stones did, spend a day in there, lay down all these great heavy old blues tracks like he used to with Led Zeppelin in the early years and revisit that. But, you know, he's... uh, He's always, uh, you know, very much outside, thinking outside the box. He's always trying to expand his art and everything else. And um, so I appreciate that. But I like Zeppelin more than I like Robert's artistic That's right. uh, expression <laughs> these days. I like the blues more than I like yeah. the sitar. So. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I like all that stuff. But it's just, to me, after all of these years, he's been playing that stuff longer than he played Zeppelin. Yep. So... 
whatever. But uh, it, it's possible. There, there's a lot of strong buzz about this reunion, getting Led Zeppelin back together to play this old cella out in the desert this year. And uh, I, I'll tell you right, I, I will not hesitate about booking a flight out to them. I was going to say, are we headed, when are we headed out? When, when, Thank you. Yeah, let's do know. it, man. Let's do it. I'm not kidding around, you know. I mean, my head will explode. You'll, you'll have a big mess to clean up if you're there with me. So I'm just warning everyone. <laughs> I, figured, I, I figure they'll be hugging and tears. and <laughs> Oh, they'll be all of that. I'll just be this puddle in the sand. <laughs> You know, you have a lot of explaining to do when you Look, bring me, bring me home in a bag. I don't want to a bag of wet sand and say, "Here's your husband." I don't want to pull the curtain back too much on on my friendship with Jim, but I will say this: that if you get a couple of adult beverages in Jim, he becomes even more nice than he already is. Like, <sighs> like to the point of there's going to be hugs oh, when stop, it's all said. You know, the, the whole, but the whole like leg humping that i do no 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 that's not none of that no 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 there's just it's this jim is a jim is a loving um individual (laughs) this just does not sound right during this (laughs) so i'm just saying we get a couple of get a couple of adult beverages in you here comes zeppelin and it's like you're going to be hugging everyone hey listen what can i say i'm irish okay if i'm not if i'm not hugging you and kissing you on the cheek i'm punching you in the nose that's right And I prefer the former, so we'll just go with that. <laughs> oh, well, let's get into some Zeppelin music, let's man. Do let's do this. Let's this do is uh, we flipped the album over, and uh, I, you know, if you listen to radio these days, classic rock radio, these first two tracks always get played together. We'll take them separately, though. Uh, beginning here with Heartbreaker. <laughs> This is a really good sister uh, track as far as the first track on a side goes to Whole Lot of Love. That, similar in a lot of ways, like with the driving guitar riff and that sort of thing that this that this song has. Mm-hmm. Without question. I mean, you, you really hear in Led Zeppelin too, Jimmy Page perfecting his formula of creating classic guitar riffs. The, the heavy, with, with John Paul Jones... You know, playing in sync with him on the bass, giving it that extra bit of punch, 
it just sounded great. You know, I mean, it just pops out of the speakers at you when you hear songs like Heartbreaker, when you hear Living Loving Me, mm-hmm. Whole Lot of Love, those classic Zeppelin riffs. Um, also on side B, uh, wrapping up with uh, Bring It On Home. Just these great riffs that you never forget. And they're so, um, they just give the song so much personality because it, it keeps coming around back to that riff again. And the riff becomes lyrical in such a way mm-hmm. that you play it in your head just like you play, you hear lyrics in your head and you hear a singer's voice, you hear that riff. And it's such, it's something that really identifies Led Zeppelin. And it was something that Page and Bonham were talking about, maybe returning back to um, creating more riff-oriented songs in the 80s. But then, of course, Bonham died and yeah. uh, the whole thing went down the toilet. Um, and Page never, in my opinion, was ever in a place where he was really creating great riffs again. Um, once he got past Houses of the Holy, mm-hmm. I think. Houses of the Holy, you have the very last gasp of this sort of Jimmy Page formula, the riff formula. And you hear it in a song like The Ocean mm-hmm. with that instantly recognizable riff. Yeah. And it all falls under this umbrella of this great period of, of creativity for Page when he was really exploring the electric guitar and and taking things into a whole new uh, era as far as guitar playing goes. I mean, you hear Heartbreaker. It just it's, it's so powered by that riff. But what else do you think of when you think of Heartbreaker? You think of that long, unaccompanied solo that Jimmy does in the middle of the song, yes. which was basically unheard of at this time. Sure, Cream was doing stuff and The Who was doing stuff and Jimi Hendrix was completely, you know, out of left field. But to have a song that gets radio airplay where everything just stops in the middle and you have an unaccompanied guitar solo, no matter how lyrical it might be, it was uncommon for a song like that to get airplay and really hit the mainstream the way Heartbreaker did. And again, Heartbreaker never released as a single. It was just something that came into the forefront in the early years of FM, album-oriented rock, where the DJs would just dig deep. (laughs) I take that back. Heartbreaker was released. Was it released as a single? Yeah, I'm looking right at it. It was in 1969. However, however, only in Italy, the Philippines, and South Africa. Yeah. So I stand corrected on my correction. Um, Apparently, it was never really released as a single. So it never charted. Um, In Italy, it made it up to 39. So I'm looking at some wow. stats here on uh, Wikipedia. Only 39. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, that's Italy. And uh, obviously there are different, you know, completely different forms of music taking the top spots on the charts out there in 1969. So, um, yeah, just, you know, uh, it, it's one of those songs, Heartbreaker, that Zeppelin performed throughout their entire run, all the way up until their last tour. And... Uh, it was interesting because occasionally the guitar solo would go off in the areas where they would start playing medleys, um, much like they would do uh, with other songs. You know, Page would drop in things like, um, you know, pieces, little snippets of classical music in there. Oh, wow. That's, that's what Heartbreaker would do. It would lend itself to moments of improvisation from Page, or occasionally the whole band would jump in. 
And um, they never played it live into Live and Love and Made. Hmm. They never did that. As a matter of fact, the band didn't like Live and Love and Made. They considered it to be filler. I think it's a great song because, again, it has one of those classic Jimmy Page riffs. Yes. Yeah. And and but, the way and and when you hear it on on radio, the way that the one just flows into the other, the way that Heartbreaker just flows right into it, almost it, it's all yes. it's this natural pairing between these two tracks. It sure seems that way, but you know that's that's kind of the power of of Zeppelin, really. You know, um, to just create magic out of what they think is is not. You know, they they thought it was just filler, two minute song, silly lyrics. Um, it was never played live by anyone in Zeppelin until Robert Plant started playing it during his uh, tour for Manic Nirvana. I think it was in 1990. Hmm. I, re- I saw that show at uh, Alpine Valley Music Theater in Wisconsin. And um, and he did was, Live and Love and Made? He did Live and Love and Made. Well, as I said, when you're listening on the radio a lot of times, um, I would say probably about eight times out of ten, if you're on a classic rock station, Heartbreaker comes on. It's going to flow right into the next track off of the the B side of the album. That being uh, the aforementioned "Living Loving Made." Let's hear a little bit of that. What a jam! I don't. What a jam! I don't. Jam. I mean, I know they don't like it because they feel like it's filler. But come on, what good filler? Great filler. I mean, well, that's just how they were hitting on all cylinders, mm-hmm. you know. And they had this track, but they just were never fond of it. And I never really understood that because it has the great Jimmy Page riff. It's just a headbanger. Yeah. Um, it's. Uh, it, it's it. The solo in it is lyrical. It just really is a great track. But Zeppelin never preferred it and never played it live. Mm. So uh, Heartbreaker would often go into, uh, sometimes it would go into like uh, what is and what should never be, mm-hmm. you know? Because mm-hmm. uh, Plant would just go, that heart! <laughs> you know? And then it just goes into something a little more mellow. You know, that's cool. You can see a great live Heartbreaker in, um, it was supposed to be in The Song Remains the Same, but it was an outtake. It never made it into the uh, final oh, wow. film, but you can catch it in the uh, the DVD, the Led Zeppelin DVD mm-hmm. that came out in uh, I think two thousand three, and that has outtakes from those Madison Square Garden shows from nineteen seventy three. That was the basis for the song remains the same, and uh, for the longest time, the only live version that I had access to was <clears throat> Heartbreaker performed live. In both, the, I think they performed it twice on the BBC. One time at a concert that was broadcast from the Royal Albert Hall in 1969, I want to say. And then another time, I believe they played it in the studio on like one of those shows, like mm-hmm. BBC's Top Gear. Well, <laughs> these, these are really groovy cats we have here in the studio. Jimmy Page, Robert Plant. You know, I, I, I've 
have all of those recordings. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I think those were the only versions of Heartbreaker that I had outside of what we hear on uh, wow. Led Zeppelin 2. Hmm. But, well, you know, now, yeah, once I got tapped into the whole underground uh, music scene and started collecting live music, um, I, I've now amassed thousands of versions of Heartbreaker. But those are two uh, really memorable ones. So uh, seek out Royal Albert Hall 1969. I believe that's on the Led Zeppelin DVD. And uh, they just put out a, a CD uh, just, gosh, within the last few months of the complete BBC recordings. And oh, those really? are really interesting. I don't know if they include the interviews or anything. I haven't picked it up yet. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't seen that mm-hmm. um, around about. I'll have to check that out. Now, when you hit the uh, one of the things to me when you when you come off a heartbreaker the way that ends and right into uh, as far as the album goes, um, you know with 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 just those just the vocals with a purple lumberella and a fifty-cent hat. I mean, like, <laughs> oh come on, bring it, son. I, it's like it's just you. The way that these guys would be able to, you know, it's almost like these are one song, you know, but. The way you would go from like Heartbreaker, as you mentioned, with the with with pages just in the middle, just starts letting his guitar talk a little bit, you know, right on to all of a sudden we're just shifting gears again into this just headbanger kind of moment, but still very bluesy, still very um, just just the rawness of of Plant's vocals. I love it. I just love it so much. It's a it's a barn burner. Yeah, and again contains. A signature riff. Mm-hmm. And that's what got me as a kid listening to Led Zeppelin II specifically. That's what got me interested in picking up a guitar and mm-hmm. sitting down and actually trying to play a musical instrument because I wanted to, not because the school was telling me to or, you know, play the clarinet, kid. <laughs> I don't want to play the clarinet. Play the clarinet. And march this way. <laughs> no. No, this is the first time that I actually sought out an instrument and I said yeah. to myself, this is something I'd like to learn how to do because it sounds so cool. And uh, so, yeah, it's been um, – it's it, that's that's what makes Led Zeppelin II so special mm-hmm. to me. And I still own my cassette copy of the, uh, the, the original version that I had from all those years. Oh, I still wow. can't part with it. You know? Yeah, of course not. Of course not. Um, and the lyrics are bluesy lyrics too. You know the the stuff they're singing about with alimony, alimony, paying your bills. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> telling the tales of how it used to be with the butler and the maid and the servants three. I mean, that's some that's some like bluesy kind of stuff too. It's like <laughs> I remember how it it's used good. to be. Yeah, it's good stuff. But um, <clears throat> we're moving right along, as it were. Jim, I got to tell you, my favorite all-time Led Zeppelin song, I believe is on this album and uh and it's and it's the next track it's ramble on i love this song let's listen to it
much obliged for such a pleasant stay. But now it's time for me to go. The autumn moon lights my way. But now I smell the rain, and with it came, and it's heading my way. Sometimes I grow so tired So here's the deal on this song, Jim. When I was getting into classic rock and Zeppelin and everything, I had a dude who was like really trying to like, you you got to get into Zeppelin. And he was trying to give me all the entry points that, you know, someone who was a bit more of a music appreciator than I was at the time would have latched on to. But one day I'm, I'm going down the road. I've got I-95, the Rock of Savannah, yeah. you know, coming out of the speakers. And all of a sudden... This song comes on, and and I'm digging it, and I'm really liking the bass runs that John Paul Jones is doing everything there. But when we hit, but listen, I've always been a bit of a geek, always been a bit of a uh, a sci-fi fantasy kind of guy. And when you hit that second verse, and he starts talking about in the darkest steps of Mordor, yes, I met a girl so fair, but Gollum and the evil one came. I was like, they're singing about Lord of the Rings. Yes, and I'm like I'm on, and this is the song that sold me on Led Zeppelin. I'm like, why didn't I went to the dude? I'm like, why didn't you tell me they sang about Lord of the Rings? What else we got here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, that's uh, that's something else. The whole Zeppelin Lord of the Rings thing, and uh, it is true. There are a few songs within the catalog where they make reference to it. Most notably, uh, a lot of people point at Stairway to Heaven, but. This is the first time where you hear a real blatant reference to uh, Mordor and Gollum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had the opportunity to meet Robert Plant once. And he, we were at a radio station. And we were in the music director's, in, in his like music library, right? And they were having Robert sign a bunch of posters and stuff. And I was just kind of <clears throat> hanging there, you know? It was just a, like mm-hmm. three of us in this room, four of us. And uh, this was at WXRT, 93.1 XRT. Um, and that's uh, Chicago, uh, really well-known station in Chicago. And uh, I was asking plant questions, and I got to my Lord of the Rings question. Yeah. And I said, I said, uh, wh- Robert, you know, um, what did you think of the new Lord of the Rings movies? Because this is like in uh, 2004, I right, think it was. Right, And... Um, Robert said, he's like, yeah, my son was in one of those. And he started to tell me about it. What? And then all of a sudden, some song came on the radio. And he goes, wait, stop, stop. And then he listened to it, and he started talking to me about the, the old town school of blues and folk. And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. And I wanted to get back to the Lord of the Rings stuff, and I never got uh, the chance to. Gosh. And I was just opening that door. I was right there because I have never really heard 
Robert go on the record so much mm-hmm. about Lord of the Rings. And I thought it would be a good way to get him talking about it. Yeah. By just, you know, assuming his fandom and asking him what he thought of the new films. Mm-hmm. Because then I thought that would open up the whole door. Well, where you know, was I his thought son? He would just, I thought he would reveal something to me at that moment. And we weren't on, there were no microphones around or anything like right, that. I've right. never been able to actually record an interview with anyone from Led Zeppelin. Oh, no, no, I take that back. I did talk to John Paul Jones once at a press conference. Mm. And I don't know if that tape still exists, but this was at the MTV Video Awards in 1992. It was in L.A. And I was uh, in the media tent and Jones was up there because he was in town to perform with Lenny Kravitz. Oh, That's nice. Who, yes. And so, and so I said, hey, uh, I raised my hand and he's, you know, they called on me and I said, do you have any plans to release a studio album? And he looked at me, a, a solo album, you know, mm-hmm. and he looked at me and goes, yeah, I'll put out one right when I get home, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, <laughs> uh, and I go, cool. And then I go, wait a second, he was being a dick to me right there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did. I went cool with the fist, you know, when you bring the fist down, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yes. And then no. <laughs> Wait a second. He wasn't. He was. He was. No. Well, why was he being <laughs> a jerk to you? He said, "Yeah, I'll put out one right when I get home, right?" But I mean, I think he was just in a bad mood hmm. because I met. Then I was really intimidated about mm-hmm. John Paul Jones. But I've met him a couple times after that, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy. Hmm. Conan Avena, and as a matter of fact, the last time I met him was he was uh, on a solo tour. It was in 2000. He played the Park West in Chicago. I got the opp- opportunity to go into his, his dressing room with him wow. and hang out, and he was giving me Heinekens and stuff, and it was great. Wow. Maybe. Was, go on. <laughs> maybe <laughs> you should have asked him. Maybe you should have asked him, hey, you going to put out a solo? <laughs> hey. Hey. Well, he, he, he had at that point. That's okay. He was touring. All right. So he, he did have a, a brief uh, Well, maybe he of, was uh, just bitter about the fact that he didn't have one out yet. And and he'd been trying. And he was like, just get off my case. I'm trying over here. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I don't know what the, the deal was. Or maybe it was that. just that British humor. You know, sometimes they just like to take the piss out of you, as they say. <laughs> well, you know, like like maybe he was just like, what does this guy think I do? Just fart out albums? <laughs> no. I mean, I'm an artiste. Well, you've listened. You've dealt with enough. You've dealt with Anthony Daniels enough times to know that these guys are just going to, you know, they're going to give it to you as much as they can. Yeah, I roll with it. You yeah. know. <clears throat> but uh, but Zeppelin, you know, I mean, they always did have something of a relationship based on friction when mm-hmm. it came to media. Right. And when Peter Grant was their manager, he really kept them, uh, you know, locked down and. Uh, they were always just very cryptic and weird, you know, especially, yeah. it, it, you know, when it, they just want to create this atmosphere about the band and they did a really good job of doing that. Mm-hmm. And also by doing so, they, they really answered only to themselves a lot of times, you know, they, 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 they liked when people ask questions. I know for a fact that if you ask Jimmy Page something like, what does Zoso mean? He'll give you a response way more rude than yeah, I'll do it when I get home. You know, he'll he'll say uh, he'll he'll probably like look at you and like flames will come out of his eyes or something, and the next thing you know, your soul is burning. Well, and, and I guess we'll talk about it when we get to that album. But isn't there a Commander Zoso? Commander Zoso and the Charge of the Light Brigade. 
Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to that when we get to Led Zeppelin. All right. We'll talk about but, Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. But anyhow, uh, ramble on. Back to ramble, ramble on. This was my uh, gateway yeah, drug. Yeah. A, a very appropriate song for this segment of the conversation. <laughs> ramble on. That's right. Uh, That's however, right. you know, I just uh, these 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 old stories just kind of come to me. Sure. And, and I got to spit them out before I forget them forever. So, well, you uh, and bear, it's bear and with it's me, folks. And it's good that you talked about John Paul Jones because in this, that's what really draws me into this song is his bass. In this, well, his bass line does provide the lead. Yes. You know? I mean, right out of the yeah. box, you get that. That's that's sort of the the melody because you know Page is just just jamming on some chords and mm-hmm. they sound great. What you also hear though is is that percussion, mm-hmm. which I have I've not done the research to actually prove this, but I think it's John Bonham with with two drumsticks mm-hmm. just hitting a, a guitar case, hmm. just you know it's a yeah it's not really a, a drum sound hmm. it's it's a very dead sound. And the reason I think this is because in Elvis Presley's famous comeback special from 1968, when he uh, he uh, did this great TV special, it's known as his comeback mm-hmm. special, and uh, he's he's famously all decked out in black leather, right? And it's him and his crew, and they're just sitting in a circle mm-hmm. on stage with acoustic guitars. He's, he's there with Scotty Moore, and then the drummer, oh, whose name I forget, but he's just he's doing just that. While they're playing all these great songs like Mystery Train and That's All Right, Mama, the only percussion is Elvis's drummer using the two sticks on the drum case. And I was like, wow, hmm. that sounds just like Ramble On. Hey, wait a minute. So I kind of put two and two together, and I've never really been able to figure that out. If I ever get the opportunity to talk to someone like a Jason Bonham mm-hmm. or someone like that, um, perhaps I would. Because I actually do have a good contact with Jason. I've, I've never had the opportunity to meet him. But that's always one sort of on my bucket list. So yeah. if, if we're, you know, we're we're doing uh, uh, rock out lead, you know, I have a purpose then to uh, interview people because that's uh, right. You know, I just I, oh, that's all I have to say is hey, I'm Goliverse and doors open. Yeah, it was so, sure. Yeah, I, listen, I I know that feeling. Um, <laughs> I'll do that as soon as I get home, Jim. Um, let's listen closely to that percussion, though. That's well, I was going to say let's 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 play it back real quick. Yeah, I, I could totally see that because it is. There's no, it is a. You, the word you used was a dead sound, and it really does. It dies on impact almost. Yeah, it's with whatever thump, he's thump, hitting thump, there. Thump, thump. Yeah, and it, it goes really well with you know Page's strumming. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. that's what where the rhythm is, and 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 Bonham is just doing that. But it's just that tap 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 tap. And I mean, it's almost like a metronome set up to a higher speed yeah, because he's yeah. not really doing. He's not jumping outside the pocket at all. He's just laying that down mm-hmm. to accompany uh, Jimmy Page. And so when you hear moments like that come from John Bonham, who it's so easy just to dismiss him as a hard hitting thrashing drummer and stuff, but he was actually, he had moments of great subtlety and he really understood, uh, the tone of a, of a drum kit Mm -hmm. and how to get the best tone out of a drum kit. And he would do more than just pound on the skins. He was, uh, he, he could pull it way back at times. And that comes from a lot of, his influences uh, in the jazz world, like Buddy Rich, etc., and uh, Bonham knew much uh, what to do with the kit way more than just pound the crap yeah. out of it. Yep. He can really, he could bring it way down if he wanted to. 
Well, uh, again, it's my gateway song is Ramble On. Um, wow, that's it, a good one. Isn't that amazing? Like, And I'm telling you, the dude, had tried, like, he'd even tried to sell me on Stairway. And, and honestly, for someone who was at my level of music appreciation, which was not very high, Stairway was not the song to do it, you know? And, and, um, but when I just heard this randomly on the radio, <laughs> on I-95, the, the Rock of Savannah. Um, I-95, Rock and Mordor, and that's Hobbiton. Right. And, <laughs> and Hobbiton's that, number one choice for classic <laughs> rock. Well, they did all kinds, of, they did the whole spectrum on there, man. They were playing Soundgarden, and they would roll into something from, from uh from Zeppelin or the Stones, you know. Um and it was funny the other day I was at home in South Georgia. I told the story in the last Rock Out Loud, so I probably shouldn't tell it again, but screw it. I was um I was home and for whatever reason, uh of course I listened mostly to podcasts and, and music from my iPhone on the way down. But when I stopped at my stop and I was getting out, the radio was set to that old station 95.5 out of savannah and i don't know why it was on that particular station but when i unplugged the phone and it cut to the radio they were playing it it was it felt like i'd stepped back into 1994 because they were playing the same stuff they were playing some sound garden or some pearl jam or whatever it was and i'm like good lord they never changed they got to a point and they're like this is where we're stopping guys we're not moving any further this is where we draw the line. <laughs> hey, yo, it's not going to get better than this. That's right. We're just going to quit while we're ahead, folks. Oh, Collective Soul dropped a new album? That's where we stop, right there. <laughs> Jail. All right. Uh, but the, it was the Lord of the Rings stuff, and there'll be more, as we'll talk about as we get into some other things um, down the line. But, yeah, the just the blatant Mordor Gollum reference there. And... Um, of course, by the time you get to the the Rune CD, you've got Battle of Evermore and Stairway to Heaven and Misty Mountain Hop. So, uh, but here's another classic work, and uh, and Jim, this is just a jam track, basically, isn't it? These last two tracks on this album. Well, um, well, Bring yes. It On Home, I guess, has a little bit of vocal freestyling. It seems like going on, but Moby Dick's just a jam track, kind of, right? Well, Moby Dick is a drum solo. I mean, obviously, it became a big part of the concert. Uh, John Bonham. Um, Again, when you listen to Moby Dick, you'll hear the things that I'm talking about. You'll hear Bonham mm -hmm. just pounding the crap out of the skins, but you'll also hear him bring it way down and then rev it back up again. And it turned into a really big concert piece, gave the guys time to get off stage and indulge in whatever they wanted to for about <laughs> 25 minutes while Bonham just went nuts. And he he created compositions with his drum solos. Mm. He, was, he wasn't just showing off. I, I you know... Uh, an example of a, a a guy that I saw live in concert, Tommy Lee, okay, mm -hmm. from Motley Crue. He's a great drummer. There's yeah. no question about it. He's very skilled. But his drum solo was just a big, hey, look at me. Mm -hmm. It was like the whole thing was like, it was like watch, watching fireworks. It was for oohs and ahs. But when Bonham would play, yeah, he'd get the oohs and ahs because he would do stuff that would blow you away. But he would also create composition. Yeah. And he would build moods and and build drama with his drum solos and that's that's a sign of a great musician and unfortunately a lot of rock drummers are not great musicians they're just drummers you know mm -hmm. well let's how get you, how do you know the drum riser's level the drool is coming out of the drummer's mouth on equal parts both sides <laughs> oh wow all right well let's yeah. get into moby dick <laughs> 
Well, I'll let that go on longer probably than I should because we'll get sued. But um, you have to. We we haven't really had an opportunity to feature John Bonham to that extent yet. Well, on the show and Jim, everything you said is exactly right. From the light touch right on into the into the to the banging of the drums there. It's just an amazing thing to hear. It takes a lot of talent. Oh God, yeah, and he could turn a corner so fast. Mm-hmm. He yeah, could just be you know just tapping on mm-hmm. a bongo, and then boom, 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 and he would do it live without the sticks. He would jump from playing with his hands on a bongo or something into playing the full kit with just his hands. Wow, you know, even he'd even be hitting the cymbals and stuff. And and Bonzo was a guy who really stuck to the drums. Mm-hmm. He wasn't so flashy by hitting the cymbals all the time. Right. A lot of people really get off on it, but Bonham was more about the beat than he was about the splash and the pyrotechnics of hitting all those cymbals. So he kept, you know, relatively, he, he wasn't loaded down with a ton of cymbals and he doesn't, you know, like a guy like Keith Moon mm-hmm. will be all over the kid. He'll be hitting the cymbals constantly, but Bonham stuck with the actual uh, drums and uh, in skins and uh, w- would only use the percussion like cymbals uh, at, at certain points, you know, to, to emphasize, he wasn't hitting them all the time. Um, he did have a gong, mm-hmm. which he would use for the, the big finale of, uh, of, um, Moby Dick yeah. often. And he would also use it for rock and roll at the end of the show. And, and yes. often they would yeah. set the thing on fire, uh, you know, um, because it was the seventies and, um, that's right. <laughs> no, because it's rock and roll. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you can see, uh, a great version of Moby Dick in The Song Remains the Same. And there are some shots of Bonham in that whole film. I mean, really, when he does those big explosive endings to songs mm-hmm. that they would perform live, sometimes the band would just stop playing and let Bonzo take like a 30-second solo at the end of a song. And he would go crazy at that point. And there are camera angles from above where you look at Bonham and you're like, oh, my God, there, there's something wrong with the, the speed of this thing. He, nobody moves that fast, and he would move yeah. that fast. It was amazing. I mean, he was really he, – he was fueled by this just like this incredible energy on stage. And then off stage with his family, he was a pretty chill guy. Mm-hmm. Hanging out with the roadies was a whole different thing for Bonham. And, uh, you know, he was, he was a pretty hard partying kind of guy. Um, but he was also, you know, really, uh, you know, gentle family man and stuff. I saw Jason Bonham in concert a few times and, uh, I, I saw him open for heart, which was fantastic where he did just a yes. straight set of Zeppelin yeah. music. And then at the end he came out with heart, and, uh, they did a set of Zeppelin, which was just fantastic. Gosh, let me tell you and, something. And, um, Jason also, but if you see him just headlining mm-hmm. at a club or someplace, he stops and talks to the audience and tells stories about his dad and shows old home movies and oh, stuff. Wow. Yeah. And it's really, it's nice and it's touching and it's, it's really cool um, to hear about that side of, of mm-hmm. Bonham. And you understand the connection that Jason has with his father and how he really is. I mean, the heir apparent to that drum kit yeah. uh, with Led Zeppelin. Unfortunately, he's only had rare opportunities to to play with Zeppelin. As a matter of fact, I think right now he's touring with Sammy Hagar and they have some kind of band going on. Uh, it's Sammy Hagar and some other guys. Um, yeah, they've got a weird name, don't they? Yeah. 
Yeah. No, no, you're not chicken foot. Not, not chicken foot. <laughs> not chicken um, foot. Okay. <laughs> there's another band uh, that Sammy Hagar has going on right now with Jason Bonham. And Michael Anthony, I think, might also be a part of it, too. It's called The Circle. Oh, well, that's not the too Circle. weird, I guess. And they're not that new. They've been out for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and they've released a live album, and uh, they perform uh, some Zeppelin. I'm looking at a set list from The Circle, and uh, there is uh, uh, Moby Dick. Jason does oh, Moby wow. Dick in that one. Uh, also, uh, Rock and Roll and When the Levee Breaks is part of this set list. Oh. So you got, oh, good times, bad times. So uh, four. Wow. Yeah, along with, you know, uh, some Van Halen and Sammy solo stuff, which is cool. And Mikey gets the bass solo. I guess they're doing a lot of, uh, I'm just, I'm looking at some stuff here. I'm There's only one way to rock they did. Uh, now we're on the circle. Welcome to the circle podcast. Will the circle be unbroken? I'm Steve. This is Jimmy Mack. And we're doing all circle. <laughs> That's what the name of the show is. That's right. The, we'll call it just the Unbroken Circle. That's right. <laughs> where, where not only do we talk about the band circle, we we talk in circles. That's right. As people notice, nobody is better than going off on tangents than Steve and myself. <laughs> Let me tell you. But we always bring it back, and at least on this tangent, we're talking about Jason Jason Bonham's. Bonham and his current thing. But wow, yeah, they're doing some cool stuff. They're doing a lot of just a lot of Hagar stuff and some Van Halen stuff, as well as some Zeppelin. Huh? Yeah, that looks like a great show. Yeah, so, I, listen, uh, I, I'm in I'm in the rare camp that I think I prefer the Sammy Hagar. Van Halen stuff over even the David Lee Roth era. Um, and back to Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I know that that is sacrilege, but there, I, I guess it's something about like the addition of, because when you get, to, when you get around to Hagar, you end up with all the synth and everything in there. And, um, and I dig it. It just, it gives me that eight, those eighties feelings. Okay. So, well, you know, to each his own, I guess. But um, but now listen, I, I, you're I love not the, the only person I've I've heard say that. But that's um, not me crapping on the David Lee Roth stuff either. I don't want to. I guess some people would say yes, it is Steve. But that's not. <laughs> well, no, it's not. <laughs> um, I saw Van Halen with Sammy Hagar as well as David Lee Roth, mm -hmm. and both both shows were were excellent. It's yeah. just. Um, in my case, you know, like I raise my boys to always prefer <laughs> sure. Diamond Dave's Van sure. Halen. I, yeah. I just, you know, I mean, because that's what I grew up right. on. So, I mean, but I also grew up on Sammy. I was mm -hmm. in high school when all that happened. So, um, but, you know, Zeppelin, um, uh, Moby Dick, uh, Bonham in the in the 70s, in like 1977 mm -hmm. tour, I want to say, when they toured the U.S., he really started expanding Moby Dick and he added effects oh wow which at that time was you know really unheard of which i mean because i mean nobody was really playing electronic mm -hmm. drums at that time right um that was still a few years away but he did start using these crazy wild effects on a timpani and so he would hit the thing and it would have just this massive delay and um it would it, he would really play around with it and it would it would swirl like around the the speakers and it really just sort of mm -hmm. wrap up the audience in what he was doing. Unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to see Led Zeppelin live or John Bonham, so I never experienced what right. that was actually like to sit in a concert hall and you know, hear the technology of that time then mesh with what was going on uh, behind the drum kit. I mean, you know, I could, I can only imagine. 
mm-hmm. just fill in the blanks and and think wow what an incredible ex- concert experience it must have been um but uh it was you know and then in their last tour in 1980 mm-hmm. when they toured europe they they dropped they dropped moby dick Hmm. So it had left the uh, repertoire at that time. I think it was maybe just kind of, you know, at that time, um, a lot of the bands from the 60s and 70s were dealing with a tough time transitioning into the 80s. And uh, with the technology and, like you said, like the synth and all that sort of coming coming into the forefront. Um, and, you know, punk rock, too, um, sort of deconstructed what were the classic rockers then? And, and they were, you know, being called things like dinosaurs. Yeah. And, you know, there was a, a certain bit of um, hatred towards some of the older acts coming from the punk punk rock scene. Yeah. And, uh, and things that I think may have been considered overly indulgent in this, you know, things that were considered standard in the 70s became overly indulgent in the 80s. Yes, yeah. As far as perception goes. And I think that's why Zeppelin did things like they dropped Moby Dick for that last tour of Europe. Uh, Jimmy Page wasn't, they weren't doing Dazed and Confused after 75 uh, because that had evolved into a 40-minute jam, you know. (laughs) And so they were trying to make things, I think, a little more compact, a little more compressed, a little more... Um, a little, just a little tighter. So they were getting away from those big self-indulgent sure. sequences of the live show. And nowadays, you know, all that stuff is back. And, you know, I mean, jam bands uh, have, you know, huge followings and stuff like that. But at the time, you know, it was all about FM radio play mm-hmm. and doing the things to get your music on the radio because that was the only way to really get exposure. And... um and so uh, Zeppelin, you know, they were they were all about that, even though they they did seem to despise the media and the press and interviews and they didn't put out singles and they didn't give their albums names. They still had to kind of walk a line, you know. And so when it came to moving into the 80s, long drum solos like Moby Dick were really considered self-indulgent and uh, and they, they got shelved by bands like Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. for a more uh, tighter operation on yeah. stage so well and production became such a big deal yeah. um and you know because when you when you start moving deep into the 80s you start getting into your bands like your your bon jovis and your def leopards and and all these other guys and def leopard especially you know like when you hit pyromania and hysteria you're talking about albums that really lived um in the in the studio they really came to life in in the studio you know with with the production side of things and um to the point you know they said we want to make the star wars of albums and so they really worked hard to produce it whereas when you listen to zeppelin and you listen to some of these other bands from from around that same era you get that raw sense of almost just a live studio recording a lot of times um that they just you know they sat down not that there was any work not that there wasn't any work that went into the production but there wasn't an over, it wasn't overproduced, I should say. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows I love Def Leppard, and, and, and I'm not discounting their talents, but I'm just saying like that was the trend. That was the trend when you hit the 80s. You know, after you, after you roll through the pop um, movement of disco, <clears throat> you had to, you know, there was a lot that had to be shaken off, <laughs> so to speak. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, I you know it, it was it was a, a real transitional time. Yeah, not even the demon Whoa. kiss was uh, uh was immune from the from the from the smell of disco getting on them. So, and again, you know, like with Kiss, their whole stage act mm-hmm. that was considered really self indulgent. So what did they do? They dropped the makeup. Yep. Yeah. In the early '80s, it's just like these these older acts were just having such a hard time transitioning into the new decade. Uh, it really, uh, you know, that's just how it goes, I guess. But, Thank God uh, we all came to our senses. Hey, by the way, the circle is touring this summer. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing tour dates, gosh, all over the place. So, um, I might have to check them out when they come uh, yeah, to be... uh, my area and, um, they're going to be around Florida. I'm looking for Georgia anywhere for I'm you. I'm surprised it wouldn't be in Atlanta at some point. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Come to Atlanta. Well, they're, they're touring, guys. They have dates all the way into fe- February 2018. So, wow. uh, you may have an opportunity to see them. I'm not what seeing anything right locally now? for me. I may have missed my opportunity to see. I'm them. seeing Ohio. Yeah, the circle. Oh, here we go. They're playing Ravinia Festival in uh, Highland Park, Illinois. It's not far from where I grew up, and that's on June 19th. So maybe oh, wow. I'll go and bootleg it. Yeah. it. Oh God, it drives my son crazy. I'll be like, no, he doesn't. Oh, he doesn't like you bootlegging. No, because he wants to talk and yell and scream and make all kind of noise. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, keep it down, kid. I'm trying yeah. to record. I'm trying to illegally record. Yeah. Oh, and then, of course, yeah. The the moral issues that right, come right, to the surface. Right. Well, I don't feel right about this. I'm like, no, I'm not recording. I'm just recording it for me. I'm not. I'm going to sell it. I mean, well, this is not right. It's Breaking not, the rules. It's not right. It's not right. <laughs> You're so, wrong, Dad. Uh, I'm sorry. We got to get back to the Zeppelin. Don't get back to the Zeppelin. <laughs> but if you do have the opportunity to see Jason Baum, he's a really great drummer. And um, he does play Moby Dick live. And uh, especially if you see him headlining, he will... Uh, He'll tell all kind of great stories and show videos and stuff that you never saw before. So awesome tribute to John Bonham. Fantastic. Well, this is our final track for Zeppelin Two. It's uh oh, we just back to the blues with this one. Bring it on home. Bring it on home. 
down how to you. Watch out, watch out, Mademoiselle. <laughs> Jim, I had to bring it down. Uh, I had to get to that point where they where they kind of really break it down hard. It, it's some good stuff up to that point. But when they when they just jam, when they start to really jam there, it sounds a lot to me <clears throat> like when I was listening to it earlier today as I was just kind of getting the mindset for the show, I was like, you know, that sounds a lot like nobody's fault but mine. Off of presence, which which will come later. Interesting. But it's yeah. a, it's a it's a similar guitar stylings there, and and um, but uh, oh, I love that last track. It's a great way to end the album. Well, I've never heard the connection to um, to uh, nobody's fault but mine. But I I, I think um, both songs were recorded with the same Telecaster, mm-hmm. so that could explain the tone and what you're hearing. And mm-hmm. and I do get it. I get what you're saying. Um. There are different approaches right. to, to sort of a, a similar sound. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Uh, bring it on home. Um, okay. So the first part of it, before we get to the big guitar riff and the mm-hmm. electric and the band kicking and everything, uh, where you just have Robert Plant and Jimmy Page playing. Mm-hmm. Jimmy's just doing straightforward uh, twelve-bar blues there, yep. and uh, Robert's uh, playing harmonica and, and basically doing an impersonation of Sonny Boy Williamson. Sonny Boy Williamson is the first guy who actually recorded this song back in '63, and it was written by Willie Dixon here in Chicago. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, so uh, that part is really just like straight out of Willie Dick's or um, Sonny Boy Boy Williamson's song. And then they jump into the whole Zeppelin part and then they come out of the song with that. And and so Paige was like, well, yeah, that's tribute. But that didn't stop Chess Studios Mm -hmm. from suing Led Zeppelin. Of course not. uh, So they settled out of court. And Paige was like, no, I didn't didn't steal the song. It was a tribute. Come on, man. What are you doing? Tribute. (laughs) So... (laughs) So, but um, that that was that's a really famous blues song, and um, Jimmy Page actually had uh, uh, something tells me he 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 actually performed on the original track by Sonny Boy Williamson, hmm. um, which makes it even more interesting because there is an album that came out, the two of them. I'm trying to punch it up real quick, um, and I believe it did have "Bring It On Home." I don't know if it was a remake or if it was the original, um, but Jimmy Page did do session work with Sonny Boy Williams. Oh, wow. As much I know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of funny how yeah. that comes full circle. Yeah, it's a tribute, man. Um, well, it's, so- a, it's a tribute that was on a on a 12-time platinum album. I mean, like, it went <laughs> platinum 12 times. So Yeah, so everyone wants a piece yeah, of that. Yeah, you're going to get your money. Somebody Especially better pay me my money. <laughs> Chess Studios and... <laughs> Willie Dixon's family, right? Um, but uh, it's um, it's a great song again with that Jimmy Page riff formula there with the great guitar mm-hmm. riff. That riff and that jam at the beginning of the song was often used as an intro to Black Dog when oh, they wow. would perform it live in the mid seventies. Yeah, hmm. you would hear that ba na 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 na, and then they do that and they just kind of stop, and then Robert would go into the Hey Hey Mama part. Right, right. It was all, always really cool. You can catch that on Song Remains the Same. From their 1973 show at Madison Square Garden, the intro "Black Dog" with "Bring It On Home," and that did not make it on the soundtrack. The original soundtrack release of the song remains the same. It came out um, finally when they remastered that soundtrack in, uh, I think, 2008. They released 
all the tracks, including the Bring It On Home intro to Black Dog. But a great t- song, a great jam. Uh, one of my favorite live versions of it comes from the very famous Led Zeppelin bootleg live from Blueberry Hill, which we talked about, I believe, previously. Yes, yeah. Um, and funny, really funny story. So we recorded that show, the, the first part of Led Zeppelin 2, mm-hmm. and we talked about live on Blueberry Hill. Later that day, my son came home with a vinyl yes. leg of Live on Blueberry Hill. He had it. Yeah, you sent me a picture of it, and I'm like, that's amazing. It's And it's so unbelievably bootleggy. It's um, The label is handwritten. <laughs> Okay, the um, the the album cover is plain white, except it has a Xerox of the original bootleg for Live on Blueberry Hill. Duct taped to the cover. (laughs) Duct taped to the cover. It is the most bootleggy bootleg I've ever seen. Oh, it's glorious. It's a bootleg of a bootleg, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, a lot of them are. So, you know, buyer beware. But um, I just thought that was so funny. I was like, wow, there's the hammer of gods at work again. You know, here's my son coming home with that. And, uh, yeah, he just randomly uh, came across it. Uh, He's often shopping for vinyl. Uh, My family loves to rummage sale, garage sale, Mm -hmm. flea markets. And uh, this past weekend we were at the uh, Kane County uh, flea market and Michael came home with like sixty pounds of vinyl. Good night. Well, now I'm did like, you're you? You're never gonna listen. All did you spin things. that bootleg? We have not yet. Okay. No. I, my my house has been sort of in transition, so we sure. actually don't have a turntable plugged in right now. But I am uh, talking to you uh, from my freshly minted home studio, which sounds amazing in my opinion. That's what I'm talking. And about. it's very comfortable and it's very nice. As a matter of fact, I keep a guitar here in my my home studio. And um, I uh, started playing guitar again for really the first time in about nine years. Wow. I've had, I've had moments where I've grabbed it and played it and whatnot. But um, I, uh, I haven't really been playing much. So, but on the sake of embarrassing myself. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, are we about to get some Jimmy Mack on the guitar? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So let, me, let me move the mic down. Because I told you that... Um, that this album really made me pick up a guitar. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm 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 really nervous because I, I've rarely played guitar on a microphone like on a radio station or a podcast or anything. I've never as far as I can remember, I've never played Oh no, I did once on Rebel Force. Yeah, radio. you did. I was gonna say I thought you did one time at at a live show. Yeah. But it's um a couple times I think. Mm-hmm. But um I haven't been playing much until just like the last few weeks. And so basically I've just been working on chords. I've been working on some of those riffs though from Zeppelin too, which I, I'll never forget because it was among some of the first stuff I ever learned mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on guitar. So at, at, at risk of um, entertaining or shocking you, I'm actually going to attempt to play some guitar on this oh, show. Oh, yeah. So let me, uh, let me put the mic down and I'll do like just a uh, – a medley, I'll try to make this quick and painless, a medley of Zeppelin riffs from Led Zeppelin 2. All right. Okay? Let me make sure I'm in, actually in tune. Um, I, I'd like to play Moby Dick as part of this, but I'm going to have to tune down on the fly so I don't... Uh-oh. Man. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. Led Zeppelin 2 by Jimmy Mack. I'm nervous. Steve, I'm don't, nervous. Don't be nervous. No one's listening. Okay, good. 
Good. That's I, I can always count on you for that reassuring <laughs> reassurance. All right. All right, here we go. what i'm talking about it was a journey well we're not through yet encore A journey through Led Zeppelin uh, 2. That's amazing, sir. Oh, uh, I don't know. That felt if I played it much better earlier when I wasn't pressing so hard, sweating so much, and like shaking <laughs> like a leaf. But <laughs> well, listen. What we're, here's what here's what I demand. I demand next live show uh, some Zeppelin karaoke. Gloss and Mac. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, we could do uh, like thank you. You know, that's that's like a nice one. You mm-hmm, can do like mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. Uh, Pretty. Yeah, yeah. See, then we take it way down. Yeah, yeah. Hey. <laughs> but I mean, that's just what I remember. Yeah. I mean, like my, my fingers, um, when I play, they still get like all marked up by mm-hmm. the strings and stuff. So I haven't even really built up calluses. Right. I've barely played in 10 years. I played a lot when I was a kid. I played a lot with my friend Lou who uh, unfortunately isn't around anymore to mm-hmm. jam with. Yeah. And uh, when, when Lou passed, I just I quit playing for the longest time. The longest time. I couldn't even have a relationship with Led Zeppelin. Right. Because that was something that was really that I shared with my buddy Lou, who I used to jam with all the time. And he was in one of the top Zeppelin 
bands yep. uh, in the Midwest, this band called Presence, right? I've talked about Luke. Yeah, Paul, right? yeah. So well, I'll have to play some of his stuff on an upcoming show. But um, so, you know, a lot of these riffs and stuff were things that he taught me along the way. And um, I've forgotten a lot of it. I'm trying to, like, rebuild some muscle memory and remember how these chords all work together and everything. But um, so, you know, if I can if I can remember some of these Zeppelin songs, I'll start playing them again. And then you and me will get together and we'll have a big uh, live show, a big concert. That's and you'll right. be doing the Robert Plant stuff. We'll, we'll be like a uh, big, we'll big be... blonde wig. That's right. <laughs> I'll unbutton my shirt down to oh, my belly button. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're even wearing one, that's right. And <laughs> I'll, I'll have the the dragon suit on. Mm-hmm. There and you I'll go. I'll have the wig, the big black wig. You know. I'll well, look like it, what what'll it be? It'll be that moment of Ray and Luke on Octu when uh, when she's handing him the the uh, the microphone, and it'll be like Jim, it's time to jam. And I'll just hand you the. I, I meant he's handing her the lightsaber. She's handing him the lightsaber, and I'll just, I'll have the microphone. And I'll just reach out and hand you the guitar, and you can stare at me for a little bit, and then take it. And uh, that would be great. Yeah. But you know what? Can you do the the Sonny Boy Williamson thing too? Like we could get my son. He plays harmonica. Yeah. So we could get him to play, and then you could do the. Oh sure. Yeah. You know we'll we'll have the you know. Go ahead, jump in. Well, hold on, I gotta get the lyrics down, Jim. There's a harmonica solo here, anyway. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let me get those. Let me let me pull those lyrics up to see exactly what he says. You're stalling. I'm sorry. some rehearsals <laughs> we're not ready to debut this not quite. no i put the guitar down I'm not quite ready to play. <laughs> but i have to workshop it <laughs> indeed indeed <clears throat> listen i should be listen i should have been workshopping a lot before this uh so Well, Jim, what's our bonus track today? Did you get one picked out for us? All right, Steve, what we have for everyone this time around is a really rare recording of Zeppelin performing Heartbreaker live in Vancouver, Canada, March 21st, 1970. Uh, The venue is the PNE Coliseum, and uh, this track is uh, something that was heard on a very famous bootleg called Mudslide. So this is the Mudslide recording from Vancouver, Canada. It's Heartbreaker from March 21st, from March 21st, 1970. And in this you'll hear, Steve, the extended guitar solo that Jimmy Page does, his unaccompanied guitar solo, which goes into many different weird directions, including a little bluesy jam and... Uh, other familiar things that you'll notice along the way. So this is Heartbreaker. All right, and that's what we'll be closing out with. We appreciate you guys listening. We've had a lot of good feedback on the show, and um, a lot of folks uh, even even sticking over, uh, even jumping over to uh, the undisclosed Facebook page, Jim, um, and and mentioning that they enjoy the show. And of course, here at the Golaverse, the Guardians of the Golaverse page, people are digging it. 
And we thank you for that. And we'll be back with more uh, next time we begin Led Zeppelin 3 with the aforementioned Immigrant Song kicking us yes. off. Yes, yes. So now you're talking. So until then, I'm Steve. I'm Jimmy Mack. We'll see you on the next Rock Out Lead. 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 Rock Out Lead. I said yeah. it right. Yeah. Good evening. Everybody feel all right? Thank mm-hmm. you.